0: Hi, and welcome to School of Hustle. I'm Sarah, and you can find me on Instagram
1: at Sarahfunky. And I'm Maxim, and you can find me online at Maxim McKay.
0: I was looking at the news today, and I learned that one in every seven Americans are unemployed as of right now, bringing the total unemployment number to 40 million. I just, I can't even comprehend a number like that. And I feel
1: very fortunate, you know, that I'm still able to continue to work, and my heart goes out to everyone.
0: Like my parents haven't experienced it. My grandparents haven't experienced it. It's like the level of the Great Depression, uh, the unemployment. Well, it's certainly worse than the 2008
1: recession. Yeah. Like we're facing some challenging times and there are so many people out there who are really affected by this.
0: Yeah. And as a business owner, trying to apply to these loans and these grants and all this, it's, it's really alarming to me. Like how are they even going to make this work again?
1: Like why do these processes or documents have to be so complicated? Like is there someone out there who's simplifying this whole process?
0: And that's why I'm really excited for today's Guest, Rohan Pavelari is the founder of Upsolve, a nonprofit that helps low-income families file for bankruptcy for free via an online app. Spun out of Harvard Law School, their team includes lawyers, engineers, and judges, and they've been named one of the top 10 most innovative nonprofits of 2020 by Fast Company, received the 2019 Heroes Award from the Robin Hood Foundation, and were awarded one of the 2018 Good Tech Awards from the New York Times. To date, they've relieved $200 million in debt for families suffering from layoffs, medical bills, and predatory loans. That is really impressive, Rohan. Thank you so much for being here.
2: you so much for having me, Sarah.
0: So in your own words, tell me a little bit about your
2: company. Upsolve is a nonprofit that helps low-income families file for bankruptcy for free using an online web app. We've relieved over $200 million in debt so far, and we're the largest nonprofit in America helping families file for bankruptcy on their own for free.
0: That's so incredible. Thank you so much for creating something that was so necessary. There was a huge need in the market for it. And I'd love to just talk about how you dreamt up such a brilliant idea. When you first started this business out, did you ever think that it would grow into what it is today?
2: When I was starting, uh, Upsolve was just a brick and mortar legal aid clinic. People were coming into our office one at a time. And I really just started it as a project a school project my sophomore summer when I was at Harvard. I moved to Brooklyn and started going to the bankruptcy court and going to legal aid offices and going and meeting other attorneys and just trying to understand as much as possible about this huge problem in America, which is that if you're poor and you have a civil legal problem, you have absolutely no right to a free lawyer. Most people don't understand that the right to a free lawyer and a public defender is only in the criminal justice system. So if you have a civil legal problem, like being evicted from your home, being sued for your debt, being the victim of domestic abuse and needing a restraining order, you have absolutely no right to a free lawyer.
0: That seems so wrong to me.
2: And t- totally. And, I, I, and I, when I first learned about this problem in 2016, it was just so surprising to me and it was really, really angry. So uh, I, I thought that, In a country like America, we talk all the time about equal rights, but we don't really have equal rights in this country. What we have is equal rights if you can afford a lawyer. Right. And unfortunately, so many poor families in America cannot afford lawyers, so they're priced out of our justice system. My first summer when I started to work on Upsolve in 2016, I just wanted to learn about the problems there were. And I sort of thought about it as a project to learn about these problems rather than I'm starting. Company and have this app.
0: That's so interesting. So it was more that you were just looking into it and it seems like you were kind of in disbelief. Is this really the case that people don't have rights? It's shocking that people that have been accused of crimes can get a lawyer, but then all of these people that can't actually afford one for non-criminal crimes can't get access to a lawyer.
2: Totally, and it's a civil rights injustice that we don't really talk about in this country. And it deserves to be at the forefront of our national dialogue that if you are low income and you have a civil legal problem, you have absolutely no right to a free lawyer. And we've written the laws and made the forms in the courts to be so complicated that people can't access their rights on their own.
0: Why do you think that is, that it's so complicated? Because, you know, right now we're going through the whole coronavirus thing. Trying to apply to these grants, these loans, is exhausting. How do these people that don't have an education, that don't have the money to do this, how do they do it?
2: I mean, it's terrible, and it's, in my mind, the same as uh, literacy tests that people used to have to take in order to vote and that was used to actually stop people from voting. Legal complexity is a civil rights injustice, and... One of the reasons it's the way it is, is that there's a culture in the American legal profession around if you have a legal problem, you need to go and see a lawyer. Yeah. In the healthcare profession, we have so many over-the-counter options. If you have a headache, you can go and buy Advil. But in the legal profession, we don't have that Advil equivalent. Hmm. We make everybody go and see a doctor for every problem they have.
0: it's such a good analogy. Right?
2: There's a big culture problem within the legal profession. And as a result, we've designed our laws and our courts around lawyers rather than around people.
0: I think the way you explain it is a great example of how easy Upsolve is because you put it in such simple terms and comparing it to Advil, it immediately I understand what you're talking about. So this is clearly a brilliant, concept that you've developed. What was the first thing you did once you came up with the idea of UpSolve? You knew you there was a need in the market. And so how do you fill this need?
2: Yeah, so for an entire year my co-founder and I operated a brick and mortar legal aid clinic in Brooklyn on Court Street and people people would come into our office one at a time and we would sit next to them as they used like the first version of our software mm-hmm. and then We uh, saw how people were interacting with the product that we built, and then we went on opposite sides of the office, and we tried to figure out, could somebody use this on their own, but come to us if they had any problems. And then we gave people our product from their homes and told them to use it at home. And when people could use our software to answer questions about their personal finances and then generate their own forms from their own home, we knew we were onto something, and we turned from a brick and mortar legal aid clinic into a technology company.
1: That is like such a brilliant idea, and kind of now. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Upsolve is like really unique in that it is a nonprofit, but you also like offer a service and generate revenue. Did you always plan to structure it that way? How did that come to fruition?
2: Yeah, I mean, I've always felt very strongly about being self-sustainable um, as an organization, and covering our expenses with revenue that we generate so that we don't have to go out and spend all of our time fundraising. A lot of nonprofits are not as effective as they could be because they have to spend a lot of their own money and their time fundraising, and going asking for more money. And I didn't want to be that type of organization. I didn't want to have to rely on other people in order to be able to provide our service and on on donors to provide our service. So I've always felt very strongly about that from the beginning, uh, but we didn't always know how to generate our own revenue. And uh, only recently, um, about 18 months ago, did we figure out that there were a lot of people coming to our website who actually preferred attorneys. And there were a lot of attorneys who were willing to provide free evaluations to people who wanted them, but were willing to pay to provide these free evaluations because some percentage would turn to uh, clients of the attorney. So that is... um, the business model of Upsolve, and we um, only figured that out three years in.
0: I think part of
2: building a business,
0: though, is adapting as things change in the world. And you did a really good job of doing that. You saw that people were going to your site for something different than what you had planned for, and so you adapted your business model to accommodate the needs of your audience. And I think your website does this very clearly, because I spent a lot of time on your website, and uh, as someone who doesn't know much about bankruptcy, it was so easy to understand, and the fact that everything is completely free for people is such a huge service. So let's talk about the day. Let's go back in time a little bit to the day that you started creating this what were your feelings? I know as an entrepreneur myself, it, it can be really scary, but it also is a bit exciting. So can you talk about that day?
2: Yeah, totally. So uh, maybe it was my sophomore summer when I was in college. And uh, the great thing about starting something in college is if it doesn't work out, you can just go back to school. Exactly. <laughs> like there was that much pressure um, at the beginning of starting Upsolve. And, and that was a really great, productive feeling. And I always use the word project rather than company to start. Because there's no such thing as a project failing. You just do a project, and then it's over, or it keeps going.
0: That's a good mindset. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so,
2: and that made uh, made the experience really enjoyable at the beginning, because there wasn't this pressure. It was a project. I was in school. But the real rush to me came when we helped our first user. Her name was Tisha, and uh, she was um, from East New York. Mm-hmm. And I met her because she had been sued debt that she owed and I was at the courthouse talking to people and learning from their experiences and then I learned that she wanted to file for bankruptcy and just couldn't get to a bankruptcy lawyer because she couldn't afford the cost and the debt that she had was such a pressure on her and it made her depressed. And, uh, and debt can have such a devastating consequence on so many low-income people and working-class families. It can lead to homelessness, it can lead to hunger, it can lead to poverty. Mm-hmm. So to be able to help these people and to help Keisha to start and see how grateful she was for the technology that we built, um, that was just such an amazing feeling and it was sort of second to none. After you help a few more people, one person sent us a mug with our initials on them to our office because she had such a positive experience. Our second user, his name was Anthony. He's from Queens. A year later, he sent us a check saying, I don't have very much money, but now that I don't owe all this debt, here's a hundred dollars.
0: Wow. Not
2: buying Queens for some good Italian food anytime you want. And you almost think, how can I not keep helping these people?
0: That's amazing. And I see that because you are a nonprofit, but you have to get funding from the government and charities and also individuals. I think it's really interesting that you bring up that some of the individuals that once used your service now have gotten out of bankruptcy and now are paying you back, which is, I think, a huge sign of actually doing a public good and having your business really impact people in an amazing way.
2: Totally. I mean, like what organizations can really say that people benefited so much that they're willing to voluntarily donate afterwards and hit forward to other users? So we've been very lucky.
0: Right. So entrepreneurship has a certain level of fluidity to it. Um, But I'm curious, is there anything that was a non-negotiable for you? such as your name, for example? Could you talk about why you called it Upsolve?
2: Yeah, I love the name Upsolve because I thought it was a very positive name and we wanted to really uh, empower people with our product. So uh, that's sort of the solve in it. We wanted to bring people up and improve their credit scores, increase their chance of employment. So I like the idea of up there. We thought there was a nice play on words with absolve your debt and upsolve as well ah. um, and we also wanted something simple easy to spell mm-hmm. where we could afford the domain name and there wasn't very much competition on google search so those like, some of the reasons we chose UpSalt.
1: very nice those are all fantastic tips and across no like no matter what niche you're in no matter what business industry you're in like that is something that's actionable for everyday entrepreneurs everywhere
0: <laughs> yeah and i think choosing a brand name is Can overwhelm some people because you want your name to be just right. And what you did here was you looked at the name and you tried to find meaning in the name. And so when I first saw Upsalt, it already exudes positivity and that seems like what you're trying to bring to your customers, positivity. It's going to be okay. You're going to go up from here. It's really smart to think about the brand name extensively before jumping into it. Because when you don't choose a brand name that explains or hints at what you do, it can be a little confusing, especially for SEO. You mentioned SEO. That's a huge factor of it.
2: Exactly. Now,
0: you mentioned SEO previously uh, when we were chatting about it, and you guys own a- almost all of the search results in Google for bankruptcy, bankruptcy-related terminology. How important is that, have you noticed, as a business owner?
2: Over 80% of people find us because of Google search, because you're searching something related to bankruptcy to find us. Yeah. Uh, if we didn't have Google search as an acquisition channel, um, we wouldn't be able to reach consumers who need us. So we are very lucky to find an affordable, scalable distribution channel in Google search.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree on it. And for anyone that's watching this or listening, owning a topic um, through SEO is so important. Um, you know, Rohan learned it. I learned it with my New York videos. It's, if anyone searches any topic relating to what you are selling, your business pops up first and they will go to you first. So it's a great strategy for customer acquisition. Totally. Is there anything that you learned along the way that you wish you knew when you first started out? You know, as business owners, we're constantly adapting. So what was that like for you?
2: Yeah, I I think uh, for us, it was the importance of content. Um, rather than just focusing on our product. Mm -hmm. If we had started um, from day one, I would have started writing more content from the beginning or hiring um, great people to help us produce content. We start for us, right now, we're 50% a media company, 50% a product company. But when we were starting, we were definitely only focused on the product itself. Mm-hmm. And in a head start with content, I think we'd be able to have helped even more people because more people would have learned about us. We'd have more domain authority. I think not enough people think about the distribution channel that they're going to go after, When starting,
0: you bring up a really good point because I noticed that in addition to a few blog posts on your website, you also have a few YouTube videos explaining the process of going and filing for bankruptcy, which is something that most people doing that have never done before. Why did you decide to make videos and content about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, totally, because bankruptcy is such a mystic topic to so many people. There's a lot of misinformation out there, there's a lot of stigma in filing for bankruptcy. And we always felt strongly that if we could show examples of people who had filed, tell their stories, and also just clear up the misinformation um, around how bankruptcy actually can improve people's credit, or how bankruptcy can really help people relieve debt, then we'd be able to help more people. So that's why video and content has always been important to us.
1: There's absolute truth to the phrase, content is king. You know, I used to um, work in content marketing and the amount of good it can do for your business, uh, video content, blog posts, like SEO generated writing, it's incredible. So I know that you had mentioned finding someone or it was something that you would wish you had done sooner, um, which kind of got me thinking about your team as a whole, right? Like you have an incredible team at Upsolve, you know, from lawyers to engineers to judges, Can you tell us a little bit how you ended up building your team and then the importance of having the right people?
2: Yeah, for us, we've always focused, number one, on people who have a background in social justice and who are activist oriented or who in general just have a track record of caring about social causes. And that's um, been a non-negotiable for us from the beginning. Um, But then sort of trying to find uh, people with passion, but also deep Skill set's always been really important, and particularly around technical hiring. I mean, there aren't that many software engineers who have social justice-oriented backgrounds. And finding those has been a big part of my job and something that I've really found to be one of the most important things we've done.
0: Yeah, I think anytime you start a business, one of the hardest parts for me was hiring people because you have this idea in your head of what exactly you're looking for. And sometimes it's really hard to find people that fit those molds. And you did a really good job uh, getting some highly qualified people that are also really relatable and fun. And I think that's something you don't really expect when you think of bankruptcy.
2: No, we do want to make it fun. (laughs) I mean, we've always thought that uh, we should take risks in our product and we should do things that other people don't do. And one of my favorite things in our product is uh, we have stories of famous people who have filed for bankruptcy while you're answering questions about your personal finances. um, We also uh, have motivational quotes for people who are going through to make the process seem less lonely and more relatable.
0: Can you please do this for the government grant and loan process? Because that would be great for me. <laughs> I love this little inspirational walkthrough. To keep yeah, you. I need like inspirational quotes like every moment of my life. Just incorporate the upsol model <laughs> into every part of the legal system.
2: Right, and that's the goal is to um, inspire change in our legal system. Um, and ultimately, the role of the social sector is to inspire the government to scale it's innovation. The social sectors are really good at innovating, mm-hmm. but the role of government is to scale innovations that have been proven. There's no better revenue source than taxpayer dollars to scale a intervention in the social sector.
1: You've mentioned this a couple of times, like the, the scaling, the innovation, the being at the forefront of national dialogue. So what are you doing at UPSOL to, to further progress that conversation?
2: Our number one goal right now is to help as many people as possible. Our theory of change is that the more people we help, the more power we'll have as an organization to influence change. The more stories of users we'll have, the more credibility and track record we'll have. So we're really focused on helping um, relieve as much debt as possible for as many low-income families as possible. But at the same time, we're also taking what we're learning in the field and writing op-eds, educating the public Writing to courts and to judges, letting them know what we're learning and trying to share our vision for the future of bankruptcy, but also just the civil legal system in America.
0: I hope you succeed in that because it will save the world a lot of stress, including myself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just trying to do your taxes can be overwhelming. And just going on your website and going through the process you had on should you apply for bankruptcy, I almost accidentally like went through the process because it was so easy. So uh, let's talk about the process of growing your business. So do you have any advice on pitching organizations for funding a nonprofit?
2: For us, we were unique for a couple of reasons and non-traditional for a couple of reasons. And we really focused on finding people for whom unique qualities would be attractive so, number one was we use technology to scale our service. There aren't a whole lot of nonprofits out there that are engineering organizations that are providing a service with technology. And so we focused on trying to pitch to people who would appreciate our technology driven approach.
0: That's very smart, looking at what your strengths are and finding people that also believe in those strengths to fund your. Your product. Exactly. And I see one of the people I was so impressed is the former Google CEO Eric Schmidt is one of your funders. How? Please <laughs> just tell us about that.
2: Well, that then I got lucky. I uh, You didn't
0: get lucky. You have a good product. <laughs> I don't yeah. believe in luck.
2: <laughs> I used to work at a company uh, where one of my colleagues went on to work for Eric Schmidt. So when Eric Schmidt started doing more and more philanthropy related to economic opportunity uh we rose up and uh and my my friend my um former colleague uh put us in front of eric schmidt and that's how we got the grant
0: can you tell me about that meeting were you scared what were you feeling
2: so you you just need to pitch the gatekeeper and then if you get the gatekeeper to be on your side and really believe in your product then uh you'll be able to have a successful outcome. So um, mm. many of the people who are high net worth individuals who funded Upsolve, I haven't actually met them yet. Um, we, I think they would know about Upsolve because they've given us a substantial amount of money, but uh, but we have just gotten past the gatekeeper component and then the people who work for them introduce us and and make the case.
0: So how do you craft your pitch?
2: So I mean, I think that the number one thing I learned is it depends on the funder. Um, some funders will love... The fact that you're using technology. For some funders, they don't really care about how you're doing it. They just want to hear about the stories.
0: Interesting. The people that you've impacted, you mean, by stories?
2: The the people that you've impacted. Some funders don't even care necessarily about the fact that you're helping relieve debt right now. They want to hear more about how you're affecting greater systems change.
0: So since all the funders seem to kind of, uh, well, not all of them, but it seems like They have different goals. So how would you, do you have any tips for someone that's going to pitch a funder? Uh, is it just do your research and see what they've funded before and kind of tailor your pitch to what you think they're interested in and their style?
2: Yes. Uh, I mean, I think that's always a good idea. Um, There's also a few questions that you should generally ask funders. And I learned these during Y Combinator. So if you can ask them, they can tell you uh, information that will help you craft your pitch. Um, One of them is, how do you make decisions? Mm. One is, um, what's your average check size? What's your timeline for making a decision? And those are three questions that um, if you ask an investor or a funder, They can give you a lot of information that will be helpful in making your pitch.
0: So funding for a nonprofit, you can't, would the funder make money if they're... No, no. Right. I think a lot of funders are looking to make profit out of ideas that they fund. So how do you go about that part of the conversation that, you know, here, could we have money, but you're not going to make anything, but you're going to feel really great about it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, when we start a conversation with a funder, they know we're not going to create any financial return for them. Um, so that's what we go into the meetings of. Um, I think it's very hard to convince people who weren't going to give money to give money. Yeah. What is easier is to convince people who have already allocated at the beginning of the year that I'm going to give out a uh, million dollars or I'm going to give out $20 million or my foundation is going to give out $100 million this year and then go to the people who've already decided they're going to give, but then they're just trying to figure out which places to give. And then it's sort of you are competing against the other interventions and nonprofits out there, and you have to convince the funder that you have the more effective, the more bang for your buck idea. And I um, mean, one of the, our pitches is um, Upsolve is now relieved over two hundred million dollars in debt, and we've spent less than two million dollars, or about two million dollars so far. So for every dollar that we've spent, we've relieved about. in debt. More than $100 in debt. For every dollar you donate to Upsolve, there are over $100 in debt relief for poor people in this country. Wow. And that's one pitch.
0: It's a great pitch because it directly correlates with how much they'll give you. Right. So they can project how much that they're going to help people by how much they donate. And I think that's so smart of you to look at that angle. How do you find those people that you know are looking to give away funds?
2: Uh, some foundations have just open websites where you can just apply. Oh, okay. Some of them have been through warm introductions. So you sort of try to figure out uh, who you can get a warm introduction to from your existing funders. Those are usually the best at making warm introductions because they've already vetted you. And if, if they introduce you to somebody else who could fund you, that's usually um, m- makes it a lot more likely that you'll be able to get funding.
0: So networking, right? It seems like a lot of networking. And that's something I've learned too, from a business standpoint, you'll get so much further if you know someone through a networking relationship than a cold email.
2: Totally. But we've also have even gotten uh, funding through cold call once.
0: Oh, really? A cold call?
2: And we just introduced ourselves.
0: Were you shocked? A cold call almost never <laughs> no,
2: works. Definitely shocked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Not to like to keep going into this topic. It's just so interesting, and I know so many of our listeners um, are just starting out, or they're they're having problems finding capital. And like, um, it was either it's correct me two two thousand eighteen or two thousand nineteen that you raised one point uh, three million in philanthropic capital, and that's a really good number to go present to a new funder. But what about that very first year when you didn't have that capital or those numbers to like get them to donate to you?
2: Yeah, I mean donating or getting you to your first like hundred k. 100K- uh, Raised like so hard.
0: What was it like when you got your first check from a funder?
2: Such great validation for what you're doing and um, there are about three or four times where if we didn't get a certain grant we probably thought we'd need to shut down. Wow. Sort of a sigh of relief they can keep going for six months or three months longer and, and that was like really exciting.
0: In a way moments like that help you relate to your customer.
2: Oh totally. (laughs) Our our users though are facing so much more. Yes I mean to some degree I still had financial certainty at the beginning um, but uh, I mean I've always personally had so much privilege in my life. And um, and I mean, it's such a joy to be able to help people, um, and to use sort of whatever privilege I've had to be able to help people now.
0: I think there needs to be more people like you in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. So, tell me, what is next for your business? Are you looking to expand into other products and services?
2: Yeah, I mean, right now we're pretty hyper focused on bankruptcy. We want to get to one billion dollars in debt relief, so that's our next goal. We just crossed two hundred million, and we think we can get to a billion faster than uh, at this sort of three year rate uh, that it, got, it took us to get to 200 million. So that's, a, that's definitely our number one goal. We do want to launch other products to help people who are in financial distress, who are coming to our website who need help. And we also want to play a part in changing a broken system within our legal system, making our courts more accessible and increasing the amount of help that's available to people beyond wares and inspiring that change in our legal system.
0: That would be so great because my mom says uh, lawyers have a license to steal. Not, not hating on any lawyers out there, but sometimes you get the bill and you're like, wait, what? That one email cost me $100? <laughs>
2: our attitude is uh, different. We believe that lawyers will always be at the center of our justice system. They are responsible for so many civil rights advances over the last 100 years, and it's an amazing profession. Mm -hmm. But we think that lawyers alone will not be able to uphold the promise of equal justice under the law. What we need is to invite other professions, whether it's engineers, product managers, designers, social workers, librarians, into taking on this responsibility of equal justice under the law and of equal rights, because if we only limit it to one profession, we will not have equal rights in America.
0: Brilliant. I think you just phrased this all together so well. It's really about creating a fully democratic system across the board in every asset of our government where everyone's equal.
2: Right. I mean, there's no such thing as equal rights um, under the law unless people can access their rights without having to pay um, if they can't afford lawyers.
1: So, so inspiring. You have done so much for so many people. And while I know it's probably really difficult to pick one instance, I'd love to know what has been your biggest accomplishment to date?
2: I think uh, being able to relieve $200 million in debt for a loan family is like a really um, uh, amazing feeling to, to be able to have done that. Um, I mean, we want to keep helping more and more people. On a grand scale, that's one. Um, but then on a individual scale, uh, there are people in America who kill themselves because of the death that they're in. And that's such an unfortunate reality. There was this one man who I heard had tried to take his own life. He's from Queens and it's because of a $50,000 predatory loan. And he used up solvent back on his feet, learned to code on the side and have, um, and has a job as a security guard. And, uh, Just knowing that there were at least a handful, maybe even just one person who potentially saved their life because they were able to relieve their debt, didn't go through the depression and stress of being trapped, that is um, a really good feeling as well.
1: That's truly a really touching story, and I can't imagine that feeling that you get to walk away with knowing that you're actually helping people in such a tangible way.
0: Yeah, it's really inspiring. Uh, Like I said earlier, there needs to be more people in the world like you. So speaking that there needs to be more people in the world like you, what is one piece of advice that you could give to everyday entrepreneurs like yourself?
2: Really, people are afraid of failing, but um, in reality, it's like not a big deal and uh, I go on and move on to something else if what you're starting out with doesn't work out and Mm -hmm. you should really divorce yourself from the projects or your work and don't think of it as you failing because there's no such thing as that and uh and I don't think enough people just try and start things and would love to see more people going after their passions in that way
0: Yes, this is something I've said so many times, 100% agree with you on this. I think that if people would just try, we will have so many more incredible things in this world. Failure can be very intimidating to people, but once you fail, you learn, "Eh, it's not that big of a deal. Right. There's a quote I love that I'm probably going to butcher, but I'm going to say it anyway. It is, uh, the master fails more than the novice even tries. And this is something that I think about a lot because you never know what you can achieve if you just try it, just try it. That's the thing. You might succeed. You might as well try it. Exactly. Before we wrap up this interview, I want to ask you a few questions about COVID-19. Um, it's affecting so many small businesses right now. People are filing for unemployment, bankruptcy, businesses are closing altogether. And as the head of a non-for-profit that's outfitted to help people during these challenging times, what types of help and resources and insights would you offer to other entrepreneurs out there that are struggling during this hard time?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that uh, for one, bankruptcy is a great lifeline for people if they're in debt and they are not able to pay it back and they need a fresh start. Bankruptcy is an amazing tool and the uh, largest corporations in America use it as a tool to restructure themselves and to keep going. And there's often the stigma, the sense of failure that individuals or small businesses or anybody who's not a large corporation or a president associate with bankruptcy. So I think it's really important for people to use it if they, if they need it and if it's appropriate.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a very good point. There is a stigma attached to bankruptcy, but we need to get over that stigma because it is a very, very useful tool and people need to not be scared to fail. You should use the tools that are available to you to move forward in life and don't let bankruptcy stop you from achieving your dreams because you can still do something great even after filing for bankruptcy. So speaking about how your your business specifically has been impacted by COVID-19, have you seen any changes yourself um, with like maybe an uptick in applications or something?
2: Yeah. I mean, our uh, COVID-19 resources on our website are getting an incredible amount of engagement. Yeah. Um, our COVID FAQ page has four times the amount of traffic as our homepage.
0: Have you seen an increase in applications uh, for bankruptcy?
2: So we haven't seen an increase in filings yet. Okay. Bankruptcy is a Great tool to use when you're at your financial trough, because if you're going to file bankruptcy, um, you can only file once for Chapter Seven in an eight-year period. And falling into more debt after bankruptcy might just make you worse off. So it oftentimes makes sense to file not when you're just going to fall into more debt, but rather when things potentially are going to pick up.
0: Uh, okay, and I think that's why part of your website you have a application section, and then you have a speak to an attorney section. So I think that is when you should speak to an attorney, maybe to understand if it's even right for you. Although I do know you have a tool on your site that helps people determine if it's right for them without speaking to an attorney if they don't want to.
2: Right, right. I mean, everybody's different and we we want people who have a preference for talking to an attorney to be able to talk to an attorney. But if people do feel confident in filing for bankruptcy and they know they want to file, we want them to be able to file. So,
1: um, from June 2018 to June 2019, there were about uh, 500,000 Chapter 7 bankruptcy filings in America. With so many affected by COVID-19, are you expecting these numbers to increase, and how do you plan to handle the influx?
2: Definitely, we're expecting an increase um, based on where unemployment has been over the last month. We think that'll increase by two to three times, at least, Wow! What it was over the last 12-month period. And we're preparing by investing heavily in our product by directing engineering resources towards increasing the capacity that we have to serve more people, improving the amount of self-service features that we have available so that we're able to help everybody who needs it at a critical moment in their lives.
0: That's so smart of you to plan ahead. I think it's so important to be proactive instead of reactive in times like this. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Rowan, for joining us today. Is there anything else that you want to share that's coming down the pipeline uh, before we go?
2: Uh, I just think that more people should understand that if they're in so much debt, that there's no way that they're going to be able to pay it back, um, that they're not alone. There are millions of people right now in America who are hurting because they've been unemployed. And bankruptcy is an amazing lifeline for many people to get back on their feet, to improve their credit, to increase their chance of getting a job, and uh, encourage people to understand it and to explore it if they feel like it might be the right lifeline for them.
0: Thank you for all your incredible insights, Rowan. What you're doing today truly helps others, and it's so inspiring to meet someone like you. I really want there to be more people like you in this world. That would be phenomenal. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in today. And if you want to learn more about Rowan and Upsolve, visit Upsolve.org. That's all for this edition of School of Hustle. Keep up with all our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you stream and download podcasts. And if you'd like what you heard, please leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe to our show. We'll see you next time.